Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome back to the Dear Prudence Show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio today is Baby Ange, an L.A.-based writer and podcaster who asks for Zodiac signs in lieu of names. Her podcast is called Fem Too Deep. Ange, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me on this show. I'm a, I'm a fan, by the way. Well, thank you. I mean, I I already am, too, after just a couple of minutes. I got to tell you, listeners, that just before we started recording, um, I was asked for my sign, and I have just learned four new things about it, all of which I have now forgotten. But I have a moon. Something about me is rising, and I am not always what I appear to be. And I'm a surprise to you. So that's that's four things right there I've just learned about myself. No, the Zodiac is full of stuff. That's that's not even we didn't even scratch the surface. We just kind of licked it a little bit. We kind of smelled it. And that's it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's we're deep. nuzzling it right now. That's all we're doing. Yep. And is, and I assume in your podcast, Fem Too Deep, you get real deep into things. Is that the sort of like genesis of the name? Is like you're like, let's get underneath we're the going, Yeah, we're going deep. Yeah, I try to get all into that like spiritual gook and like mess of like trauma that we all are. And then how can we sort through it and like delve in there without losing ourselves and then coming up to the surface and like sharing our beauty and our amazingness um, with all of that trauma, not despite it, um, and then give to the world and hopefully do like, you know, do great things and shift courses because things aren't looking so good. It's kind of crazy. Things are not looking so good. They're not. And and I I love the idea of not trying to completely like slough off all trauma or or put it behind us in the past, but like finding a way to like healthily incorporate it into a part of who you are. Yeah, it's so integral. Man, well, hopefully we will be able to achieve that end today. I've realized that a lot of the questions that I've saved for us today are very like they're very physical, they're very relational. It has a lot to do with people like kind of getting real like deep one-on-one face-to-face experiences, which are often not my area of greatest expertise. I feel like I'm best at like, that stranger was rude to you. Here's something snappy to say to them next time. (laughs) Man, we are starting off with a letter that I just need to like warn you. I'm going to have a hard time being charitable towards this person. (laughs) Um, And I, I want to be gentle in my reproach of where they're coming from, but it is going to be a real struggle for me not to just yell at them. Um, and I want to be honest so that we begin in a place of mutual disclosure. <laughs> I, I haven't read it, so I'm, well, I, I think I'll be reading it along with you. I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited for you to like experience it firsthand. And I also mostly left the language as it was. There are a few things that I took out in part because I just felt like it was really unnecessary to retain some of the language that they used. But I thought it was kind of helpful because I felt like it accurately summed up their mindset. Um, so that's kind of why... I've left some of the little asides they chose to make, um, which I look forward to taking apart. So the subject of this one is just sex negativity. And let me tell you, friends, that was not the original subject. Dear Prudence, I met a man and we slowly got to know one another over the last year. He's a nice guy with one teeny tiny problem. We finally decided to get physical and, well, that's where the teeny tiny part comes in. I found myself in a real life is it in yet joke and I'm incredibly turned off by it. I hate feeling disgusted by something that is beyond his control, but I can't help it. The thought of him touching me again makes my skin crawl. I told him I don't want to have sex anymore and just want to be friends. And now I find myself annoyed that he's still texting me comments that make me think he still thinks there's a chance. I've already told him I'm not interested anymore and withdrew any and all flirting. What else can I do or say to get it through to him short of ghosting or screaming? It's because you have a little dick. Also... Am I a huge dick for reacting this way to his minuscule manhood? Man, that felt like an old Sex in the City monologue. Like, just the number of puns and little jokes about, like, euphemisms for somebody's genitals. Oh, yeah. Um, and no. not in a good way. Like, there's sometimes ways to, like, throw back to the old Sex in the City vibe that can be fun and campy, and this was not one of them. Um, to answer your last question first, letter writer, yeah, man, you're being just a shit. 
I agree. I fully agree. I think that this is just, it's ridiculous. I'm, and I fully see her like at her laptop, just like Carrie and just kind of like going on, like kind of, she, she's cool. Like, excuse me, I don't want to assume that this woman actually, um, although it sounds like there's penetration. So, um, you know, whatever. Which could still Um, happen um, with a guy, but I do feel like this is the kind of letter where if the letter writer were also a guy, he probably would have provided us with that information. Um, so I, I think your instinct that this is probably a, a woman writing in is, is probably right. And probably yeah. a cis woman. Yeah. And um, she definitely feels like like this. This is just the worst kind of like, you know, affront to her. And it's like you're you totally cut off any opportunity to like explore here. And you are being ridiculous. I would say um Given her attitude, I would say ghosting might be the preferred route to take. Because I don't know if she could handle, like, a good conversation about this subject. She may just do more damage than ghosting. Right. Although it's hard because, like, they have known each other over the last year. Like, this isn't some guy she went on two dates with. Like, they had some sort of pre-existing friendship, you know, of more than just a couple of months duration. And so I think... Um, I mean, obviously, first and foremost, I don't want in any way to imply that, like, letter writer, I do think that you're being a a real jerk about this. And there's a lot I want you to reexamine. Don't by no means should you take that as a sign that we are saying, like, to be a really good person, you should go sleep with him. I don't think you should sleep with him. Um, You don't want to. That's a great reason not to sleep with somebody. Um, I don't think you need to, like, teach yourself to become more accepting of other people's bodies by sleeping with this particular man. I want to make that really clear. It is it is absolutely fine to decide you don't want to sleep with somebody. And that is not the issue. The issue is not, nope, you got to go be a good person and have sex with this guy. I, I think it is for the best for the both of you um, that you not sleep together. Yes. Um, so I just want to make that really clear. Yeah. But, I yeah. I just like there's such a glee in your letter about all like the number of jokes you make in almost every line and just constantly referring to the size of his genitals as if to say, like, isn't this bananas. Can you imagine? My skin is crawling. I'm disgusted. And there's that sort of like vague attempt to say like, yeah, I guess I I feel bad about this, but I can't help it as if there's no way we can ever like re-examine where disgust comes from as if disgust is manufactured in a vacuum um, and comes from nowhere and is never based on any sort of like um, conditioning that we could re-examine or take another look at. Absolutely. And I just want to say in case there there are any of your listeners who are who have penises and may be concerned about their size, I have co- technically been with somebody who's considered very on the small small kind of side and it was still great. Your sex is still great. It's awesome. I loved it. I enjoyed myself. So just I I just feel like really bad for anybody reading this or, you know, hearing this feeling like, damn, you know, that the people could be talking about me like this. And I am a proponent of all sizes because I have had extremely small and also sizable and both were very enjoyable. So I just want to say that. Yeah. And the sort of baseline is not that like anybody who has any kind of like, you know, preferences uh, or, or or tendencies or habits when it comes to the ways that they like to have sex is a bad person. Um, but this sort of like cruelty, shock and horror and disgust at just another person's body um, that is well within the range of like just human diversity. It's just not a that, that that's you have indulged this way too much. You have indulged this tendency within yourself um, and it's not good. And it's um, yeah, there are people's genitals are not a problem. I I just feel like pretty strongly about like, I think one thing that is a better way to approach sex and sexuality is if you are seeing somebody that you like and you are attracted to and you run into something that brings up a surprising thought or feeling or response in you, that's okay. You don't have to beat yourself up for having a response, but letting it drive your behavior like this, uh, I I think it it becomes... um, painful. It's clearly painful for you. I'm sure it's painful and bewildering for him. But like if if you encounter the genitals of somebody that you're interested in and you think of it as a problem rather than an opportunity, um, you're going to put yourself in the way of like frustration, misunderstandings, and frankly, cruelty. There's a lot of cruelty here. Um, And I I, I don't want you to be cruel. Um, So in terms of what you can do next, uh, 
Um, the fact that he does not seem to be getting the hint, even though you have said, I don't want to have sex anymore, that's totally different, right? Like, that's, he should not be doing that. Um, so what you need to say next is, hey, I don't want to go out again. I don't want to sleep together again. If you can be friendly with me and not keep bringing this up or making hints, that's great. And if not, it's better for us not to communicate. That's it. You only need to address the behavior that he's been demonstrating towards you. Um, do not let yourself get to a point where you're so irritated that you say something cruel about his genitals. Um, that's not good for either one of you. Say that. And if he can't do it, great. Then you guys aren't going to be friends anymore. And if he can, um, then, you know, go back to the friendship that you had before the two of you slept together. Um, but in terms of just in general, how do you want to think about other people when they do something vulnerable, like show you their body? And how do you want to treat non-normative genitals um, or people with non-normative genitals? Um, I, I think I would just really like spend some time non-judgmentally asking yourself, why do I believe that I can't help my disgust at this person's body? Um, why was my response to this not, what are other options available than just not talking about it and going for standard penis and vagina penetration? Um, why did I why did I do those things? Um, you know, why does he make my skin crawl over something that I claim not to believe is a personal failing? Where's that coming from? What are my assumptions about what men are supposed to be? What are my assumptions about what women are supposed to be? Um, and how could I react to those feelings differently in the future? Um, don't, you know, it, it's not necessarily having a surprised response that's the problem. It's what you do with those feelings. And so far, kind of all you've done with those feelings is just allow them to propel you to have a knee-jerk reaction. Um, and the knee-jerk reaction is not one that seems to be making you happy. It certainly doesn't seem to be um, helpful. Um, and I, I just... Yeah, I, I really don't encourage you to either ghost someone you've known for a year or scream about the size of his genitals to him. I, I, I would hope you would not want someone to do that to you. Um, you know, like I, I would not want someone to scream at me about my genitals. Um, I don't think you do either. Like I don't think anybody does. Absolutely not. Yeah, just blanket ruling. Don't scream about anybody's genitals. No. Unless it is a consensual situation and they have asked you to do so, and that's something that they really enjoy, in which case, you know, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Yes. Is there anything else? Sorry, I know I kind of, you know, had, had a lot to say on that topic, um, but is there anything else that, like, you, you want to throw out there that's maybe going to be helpful to the letter writer? Any sort of words of encouragement when it comes to thinking of other things that she could do differently? Yeah, I really love what you said. And I also encourage her to explore what her reaction, not, you know, to, to reevaluate anything anymore other than her reaction and what is, what are these ideas and where do they come from and how are they, um, informing my perception of both myself and other people and just sex in general, because it's definitely, you know, it's all some some deep, like kind of, you know, ideologies that we all are struggling with. And it's, there's, there's so much pleasure out there to be had that to limit yourself based on bodies and types and all of these things. I just feel like she will come to just some more awakenings and, and it will make things more interesting if she just connects with herself in, in those ways of just questioning, looking, seeing, and exploring yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of great ways to have sex out there. I encourage you to consider a couple of additional <laughs> options uh, in addition to the one that seems pretty crucial to you. Um, and yeah, I, I know that that was a lot. I do feel very strongly, letter writer, that that was a bad response. And I want to encourage you to do and be better. Um, but I also, you know, I, I, I want to just reiterate, it is absolutely okay to set limits. It is absolutely okay for you to say, hey, I've already made it clear I don't want to keep dating. You need to knock it off. That is something you are allowed to do. You have every right to do that. Mm -hmm. I do not believe that like the best way to respond to these feelings is to force yourself to sleep with somebody you are not interested in in order to feel like a good person again. That's not the goal. That's not productive. That's not necessary. Um, but yeah, just just check out some of those inner responses and say, that's really interesting that this is coming up. Um, let's explore. Ooh, now let's uh, let's get mad at a man. I I, I wanted to start out our letters yes. with just uh, getting getting mad at people from all sides of of all kinds of different situations. Would you be so good as to read this one? Yes. 
Dear Prudence, I am having an issue with my wife. I know she reads your column sometimes, so I thought I would ask for your advice. Several months ago, I noticed my daughter had a bandage on her arm. She told me she had gone for a checkup and our family physician had given her a vaccine. Curious, as I did not think she was due for any vaccines, I asked my wife about it and she told me it was Gardasil. I was furious. I told my wife I did not agree with vaccinations for diseases of human weakness and did not want to encourage risky behavior in our daughter. After a lengthy fight, she eventually apologized and said that it was only the first of two doses and not to worry. We have not talked about it since. However, I just received a notice from our insurer about a doctor visit for my daughter and the date of the visit would have been in the same time frame as when the second dose should be administered, according to what I read on the internet. I want to contact our family physician and confirm my suspicions, but I'm afraid of what it will do to my marriage if I can't trust my wife and daughter to respect my authority. How should I approach this? I'm kind of surprised this person wrote to me. (laughs) Does he listen to your show is the question. Yeah, I mean, apparently the key is my wife reads your column sometimes because I I feel like maybe this guy hasn't. Because if your goal is, how can I help you make your wife and daughter respect your authority as, like, king dad husband, um, I decline to offer my assistance there, my dude. Yeah, I was surprised. I thought what he was going to say was, I feel bad going to my family physician rather than discussing this first with my wife out of just trust trusting and open communication. And then he hit he hit us with the respect to my authority. And I was like, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, and to be clear for any <laughs> listeners who, who may not have, like, the immediate brand name on them on their minds, um, Gardasil is the HPP, HPV vaccine. Yes. And HPV is sexually transmitted. So, um, you know, that's what he means when he says a disease of human weakness. Um, <laughs> you know, how, how, how everyone only ever succumbs to sex. No one, no one decides to have it for a good reason. It's always just, oh, I fainted and now sex is here. <laughs> Do we know how old the daughter is? I just ass- I assume they give it at a certain age, roughly around I want to say teen, like early teen, but I don't know if they do preteens. I my understanding is that, and I'm looking right now at the CDC, um, which is the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, mm-hmm. um, and they do recommend it at around the age of eleven or twelve. Mm. Um, although it can be started as young as nine. Um, and they do actually recommend uh, that people all the way up to the age of like mid 20s, um, if they didn't get vaccinated when they were young, to, to get it anyways. So, wide, wide possible range of ages. My guess is the daughter in question is a minor, okay. um, which is why the letter writer said, you know, I'm thinking about calling the doctor because if their daughter was over 18, um, the doctor would be like, hey man, hip is a thing. Right. And frankly, I, I actually I, I do not know to what extent HIPAA protects minors and if this would be something that a doctor um, would disclose over the phone to a parent. I, I genuinely do not know. But that's kind of besides the point. Right. Um, how, how are we? I, I feel like you and I are probably on the same page here, right? Which is that this 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 child should get the HPV, HPV vaccine and we need to help this guy make his peace with it. How are we going to do that? I think I think he needs to make his peace with the fact that his child is preteen and the next step is yes this this person is becoming and going to be encountering these sort of things sex 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 is going to be a very real thing for this child for this person and yeah i i'm it's it's kind of sad that it's come to this where he's on one side and his daughter and his uh, wife are on the other side and he sees this as a divide and he, they just need to come onto his side and see the light when this is a family discussion and not you know here's the line you stepped over it wife daughter you shouldn't she should not have stepped over this you guys need to get on my side again. Yeah, and I mean, there's, yeah, I, it, sorry, I'm just like, I'm a little inarticulate, just in the sense of like, I, I'm not sure which argument I feel comfortable deploying, right? Because there's some things that I don't want to concede. I, I would say first and foremost, um, as a parent, if you have particular ideas about what kind of sex is the best sex to have, that's fine. And you have every right to feel that way. And if you would like to carefully impress upon your child 
what those values of yours are and encourage them to share them, you can do that too. And as long as your child is living in your home, if you want to set up specific rules about behavior, you can also do that. Um, I think where your authority as a parent stops is to say, if my child does not share these beliefs, then I want them to catch not catch. I'm sorry. I don't want to like recreate language about like dirtiness um, when it comes to stuff like sexually transmitted disease. But then, like, then I want her to get cervical cancer. Um, do you do you know what I mean, man? Like yeah. when you say that out loud, it sounds bad, and I, like that is the limit of your authority. Like I don't think you should say one really great way to drive my point home is to say, "Hey, if you ever change your mind, I hope you get cervical cancer." Um, I, I don't think that that's a good way to parent. I don't think that's a loving way to parent. I don't think that's, frankly, an effective way to entice young people to buy into your abstinence, I assume it's abstinence, um, you know, parade or whatever, right? Like, yeah, no, he that's what he's seeing as the solution. And anything else is weakness. That's like, she's just going on to the dark side. And essentially, like, whatever happens while she's over there, Good luck. Like, what? I'll, I'll throw this out, too. I'm not sure that this is likely to convince this person, but um, there is an article available from the Canadian Medical Association Journal um, that studied two groups of um, eighth grade girls who uh, one group did uh, receive the vaccine and one didn't. Uh, it was a cohort of over 250,000 girls. They were followed for an average of four and a half years. Um there was no statistically significant increase in any indicators of sexual behavior related to having gotten the vaccine. Um, so it does not, in fact, encourage risky behavior. That's that's something that's been studied. I would encourage you to look up more studies and to reassure yourself. Um, I, I, I hate to throw this out there because I feel like there are excellent reasons to get it regardless. But um, even if it were very, very important to you that your daughter obey your every belief about sexuality, um, it is possible uh, that your daughter could someday be assaulted um, against her will and that this would potentially protect her from one potentially awful, after the fact, additionally traumatizing effect of that. Um, and I I don't love saying that because it kind of, I think, like gives a certain credence to the initial argument of like, well, if it wasn't good enough for that reason, it has to be good enough for this reason. But um that does happen. And, 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 and your daughter should be protected um, just because you don't know what the future holds. Does that does that make sense? I, I feel kind of weird having just said that. No, it, it makes a lot of sense. And I also think that, you know, reality is something that this parent is clearly kind of a little removed from because he does think that he like he just kind of sees himself as kind of wielding this power and this authority. And he's really not kind of seeing the truth of the matter being that your child is going to go out into the world and they're going to make decisions. They're going to also, like you said, have experiences that may not be fully their part of their their foreseen you know, sequence of events. And risky behavior is really, you're you're kind of welcoming it when you don't talk to them. And when you don't talk, rather than just, you know, kind of going above and beyond her head, talking to the doctor, getting, you know, reprimanding mom, reprimanding daughter, I assume that would probably happen like this, you know, you guys are, this is not okay. And this was unacceptable, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And then it's, it's just a lot of like, kind of backhanded him kind of moving along checking, you know, insurance claims, etc, instead of communicating, because Risky behavior is definitely going to happen if your daughter can't talk to you and maybe even your wife. If you if you do manage to, like, bring wife over to your side, then it could totally break down and daughter's not going to have anybody to talk about these things with. And that is going to lead to risky behavior way more than you guys openly talking and addressing reality and the fact that this is at your front door. Yeah, and just like the idea that your wife undermined you and that your wife and your daughter need to respect your authority. I don't agree that your authority extends over your daughter's body. 
sorry, man. My, my initial, I almost answered this in the live chat, and the only sentence I could write was, your authority sucks and it's stupid, <laughs> which is not an especially, like, well-thought-out or reasoned argument. So I decided to save it for when I could talk my way through some of this. But yeah, man, like, this is not about your authority. This is about the fact that um, ultimately, as your daughter continues to grow and become an adult, which is the goal of having children, she will get to make decisions about her own body, not you. Um, and you don't actually get to make them for her. And I understand that, like, right now, as her parent, as as she is underage, of course, you can say things like, you have to go to bed on time, or, you know, you're 12, I don't want you to have sex. Um, but the, this this sort of this sort of I want to not give you the sort of adequate vaccination you need in case as an adult you make different choices from the ones that I would make for you. Um, you're overstepping your authority there, my man. Like this is your daughter's life. She's going to become an adult and she's going to get to make decisions that you may or may not agree with. Um, and I really don't think that it is your purview as a parent to say I will prevent her from getting any kind of helpful preventative medical care just in case she someday decides to disagree with me. Um, you know. There is no evidence that this vaccine encourages risky behavior. Um, she could marry a heterosexual man at 25 years old who had previously slept with somebody else but has since repented uh, and, and is now, you know, committed to being faithful to one wife. And he could give her HPV. Like there are just a lot of circumstances in which she could get this without even violating your very specific ideas about what constitutes weakness and what constitutes risky sexual behavior. Um, so if, if nothing else convinces you, um, I would like you to bear in mind that there are ways that your daughter could still get HPV without breaking the rules that seem to be so important to you. Uh, but ultimately, I think the real issue here is that you believe yourself to authority that I don't think you have. Um, so don't call the doctor. Talk about this with your wife. If you're troubled or upset, um, share that calmly with her. Say, I want to understand where you're coming from. And I know so far all I've done is act like you are my child who has disobeyed me. And that's not how I want to relate to you. Walk me through what you've been thinking and experiences thinking and experiencing, help me out here, because I do want to understand, because I, I hope that you do want to understand. I hope you don't want to simply discipline your wife and daughter as if they are two, you know, out-of-order actors in your little play. <laughs> oh, authority. Yeah, I just, I'm not into it. I'm not no. into it. No. Okay, but on the plus side, this next letter is super cute, and it's also <laughs> about parenting, and I find it deeply, deeply charming. The, t the title's in enticing. Right? Like it's, ugh. Aw. Dear Prudence, three years ago, my sister, who struggled with depression her entire life, became pregnant after a one-night stand. She didn't tell the father or anyone about her pregnancy, and shortly after the baby was born, she passed away from suicide. I was able to gain custody of the baby and got in touch with his biological father, who immediately agreed to co-parent his son with me. Since then, we have lived in adjacent apartments taking care of our adorable, endlessly chatty, and insanely energetic child together. For the first year or so, I think I was too exhausted, overwhelmed, and grief-stricken to notice what a great team we made. I have gradually come to realize that not only do I like him as a friend and respect him as a father, but I am falling in love with him. A week ago, when we were drinking wine and hanging out after our son fell asleep, he confessed he has feelings for me, too. I'm walking on sunshine, Prudy. I want so badly to pursue a relationship with him, and I think he feels the same way. But at the same time, I'm scared to death of it ending badly and ruining the co-parenting relationship we have and the stability our son gets from having his parents be so close. How can we have this relationship responsibly? Is it even possible? Sincerely, falling for my co-parent. Oh, <laughs> this is just like extremely, extremely precious, right? Yes. Like, I would watch this movie. Yes. Except for the part about the sister dying would be very sad. I know. Oh. I don't want to I don't want to be like, oh, so cute when it's actually born of like a serious tragedy. But uh, this is hard one. Like, this is really lovely that you guys have found this in such a like challenging situation. Yes. And obviously it's. It's already starting out well if he if 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 the other parent is coming forward and and sharing their feelings because mm -hmm. communication throughout co-parenting, I'm pretty sure this person knows, is key. And so that's always going to be the best and firmest ground you can stand off stand on when you are communicating. 
honestly, and of course, hopefully as clearly as possible. Yeah. So, you know, the main concern, right, because the letter writer is mostly just thrilled, like this kind of works beautifully in 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 everybody's favor. But the fear is, um, what if it ends badly and we don't have this good parenting relationship any longer? And I understand that fear. I think that's a very legitimate fear. But I would say to that, I, I think you're already running that risk now, right? Like, you're already openly in love with one another. So that's already out there. It's not like not going for it would make you both feel relaxed, comfortable, easy, casual. Um, Given that you have both confessed your feelings for one another, you're both aware of it. There's already that emotional risk that's already being run, that's already being run, rather. Um, I, I don't think that that should be a reason not to do it. Definitely not. And if clearly, clearly taking the steps to find him, the father, was you being fully dedicated to the well-being of this child, at least giving it a chance. You didn't know when you reached out how he was going to react. And so you clearly have that child's well-being first and foremost in your mind. Second of all, the father also has his well-being, that child's well-being first and foremost in his mind because he stepped right up. You guys are uh, living in adjacent apartments. Like there are there are people who are, you know, for all intents and purposes, biological mother and father who get a divorce and still don't try to make that close kind of easy and symbiotic, you know, relationship with each other to like live together so in close, such so such close proximity. So you guys are in this. Your focus is exactly where it should be, and I commend you both for that because that's awesome. That's what every child needs. And so if I feel like if you took it this far, like yes, you know, love is messy. It's you know, it's great and it's crap at the same time. But like if you have made it this far, if it were to go south, I feel like you two are the best people to attempt it because. At the end of the day, you know where your priority is. Your focus is on that child and that child's well-being. And I feel like you might, you of all people, would be able to pull yourselves out and then get it kind of flowing on new ground, but good, firm, healthy ground. Yeah. And I would say, too, like to the other fear of like, what would happen if it ends badly and it ruins the co-parenting relationship we have, you know, not that this should be like a fun possibility, but, you know, it would be like any other couple that had a baby together and got divorced. Like yep. people do it all the time. I hope that's not what happens for you. I hope you guys are together and happy and, you know, die in one another's arms like 80 years from now. Oh. But, um, you know, it's it, it would be the same as with any other couple. It's not that you're running any additional risk. You already have a child together. You are already in love. Um, if you didn't go for it and he started seeing somebody else in six months, it would feel just as bad, I think, um, as if you had started seeing one another and then broke up and then he started seeing somebody else. Um, and if you guys split up, it would be no different from any other co-parenting couple that was splitting up and you would, you know. You would come up with a shared custody agreement. You would get divorced if you had gotten married. You would figure it out. You would get a mediator. Um, and again, that's not – you can't prevent that. I, I think that fear is real, but you can't um, put it off by not taking this risk, right? Like you've already taken most of the risk. You're just not letting yourself experience the reward yet. Um, and so I think you should give yourself permission to give this a shot because there's a lot of – there's a really solid foundation here. Yeah. And like, what's that? I know it's corny, but these quotes are, I just love them. They're so good. There's that quote that was surfaced, like going around on Instagram. What if, you know, what if like little, I don't know, I can't remember the context, but essentially, what if I fall? And the answer to that is, well, what if you fly? Right? What if, Aww, yeah, it could go that's really extremely bad. charming, could yeah. go freaking amazing. Yeah. You won't and you know. have a lot of reasons to think it might. Like, you totally. know this. You've seen this guy with an infant. Like you have seen him in a pretty intense situation, and you fell in love with him as a result. So there's a lot of you know. I mean, not to say like you'll never have problems. Everything's perfect. Like roll credits on your beautiful love story. But like you have a lot of reason to trust him um, and to think that the two of you are deeply compatible. Um, and yeah, you know, write us back in a year. Let us know how things are. 
Um, you can take this slowly. You can keep talking to one another. You can both say, like, here's what I'm afraid of. Here's the worst case scenario. Can we both affirm that our primary commitment is always going to be to our kid um, and to treating to each other, treating each other with as much like respect and kindness as possible uh, so that we're not both kind of secretly terrified? Oh, no. What if this goes badly? And then, you know, we can't stand to be in the same room together. Like, talk, talk it out. And that will, I think, help. Yeah, I wish I could watch this play out somehow. I do too. I do too. Especially because the next letter, I do not wish that I could watch play out. It's just one of those like, whew, bad roommate situations that mm. just always makes me so grateful that I don't have a roommate right now. Uh, the subject is simply one room. Dear Prudence, right now I live in a very expensive city and survive by splitting rent on a studio apartment with Kelsey. When Kelsey moved in, she seemed like a dream, paid rent on time, she was quiet, did the dishes, etc. We had separate schedules. I work overnights and she works mornings, which meant that we both got uninterrupted sleep. Now Kelsey is dating Chad, who is self-employed but never seems to be at work and always forgets. Worse, they will show up drunk in the middle of the day while I am sleeping and wake me up. This has happened at least once or twice a week since they started dating. Talking to Kelsey is like talking to a brick wall. There is only a long curtain that separates our personal areas. What do I do here? I am losing sleep and losing patience. Mm. Twice a week. Twice a week. They are forgetting that you're asleep, stumbling into the apartment drunk, saying, like, drunk things to you. So you've already tried talking to Kelsey. I'll give you two different pieces of advice, I guess, based on whether or not you guys actually have a written rental agreement. Because if you have a written rental agreement and you were there first, um, I I think you can absolutely say like, hey, I did not agree to this. Here's what's not working. I know that you're a brick wall. So let me like give you some incentive to listen, which is if this doesn't stop, uh, I'm going to go talk to the landlord and ask you to be removed from the lease. Right. So there's your, you know, there's your like removing a couple bricks from the wall right there. If... If it's like a a sort of situation where you do not want to bring the landlord's attention to it and you need to try to resolve this between the two of you, um, oh, man, I I would be so, so upset about like drunk people waking me up in the middle of the day. Um, I I would just go go back and like talk to Kelsey when she's sober and be like, hey, you need to listen to me right now. You have not listened previously. This is very important to me. You cannot bring your drunk boyfriend over in the middle of the day when I'm trying to sleep. Um, That needs to stop. If that happens again, I'm going to make him leave. Um, like, I'm going to be upset. You are going to hear about it from me. I will not, like, throw things or behave irrationally. But, like, I am going to make it clear that this is not acceptable and it needs to stop. Can you agree that this needs to stop? Is this a reasonable request that I am making of you? Do you think you will be able to stop coming home drunk twice a week, waking me up in the middle of the day? Is that too hard for you? Right. But she says this is the worst on on it sounds like on a daily basis she knows that Chad never seems to be at work so mm-hmm. i don't know if he's kind of just ch- like taking over the space as like a third roommate and there a boundary there needs to be established as well there's no reason why you all three sh- I mean, unless he's paying rent, unless she's getting a nice discount. So now it's going three ways unofficially. um, Then, you know, you need to think about that for yourself. It doesn't say that, though. Um, But I mean, the worst case is that they're waking her up. It sounds like the general weekly schedule is that she somehow knows Chad doesn't really work. And so that means it sounds like he's just chilling and impeding on her space. And when you're already sharing a studio, that space and that time possibly alone is really freaking precious. And yeah, yeah no boundaries. And yeah, if yeah, yeah. I, I think it's pretty fair if you are splitting a studio to say something <laughs> like, we need to have a very strict guest policy of like, Never more than once a week and always agreed on in advance. And even that might be a bit much like a shared studio. I'm not going to have a lot of guests over, you know, like um, if ever. Yeah. You know, like if you've got a signed rental agreement, you know, and talking's not working, go with that. Um, If you don't have one, then, you know talk to her again very forcefully and make it clear that you are not like asking her to help a buddy out, but you are telling her what you are going to do if this happens again. Um, And then beyond that, you might have to look for a different roommate. You might have to look for a different place to live, Um, which you can't push Chad out a window. I can't condone that behavior because she might just find another Chad. 
<laughs> um, and that would that would only make the problem worse. But yeah, man, Kelsey, come on, man. In the middle of the day. Yeah, and rent. Why is rent so expensive? It's really... I assume I'm, that this is New York City or the Bay Area. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I remember the last time that I was looking for apartments at one point, the only apartment in the city of San Francisco that was in my price range was a couch. Literally a couch in someone's living room was wow. the range of apartment I was trying to spend money on. So I had to move. Yeah. All right. Luckily, we're going to end. We like started big and then kind of got subsequently sometimes a little less intense, but often more intense. And we're going to end on kind of like a nice softball, which I, I really appreciate. We're going to just quietly run out the clock today, I think. <laughs> um, the subject is just reaching out or not. Dear Prudence, about nine months ago, I briefly dated a woman I felt a real connection with. She was smart, interesting, fun, and I got a really good feeling from being with her. She was a widow, and I was coming off of a bad breakup at the time. And I mentioned that while her situation was tragic, hopefully she could feel comfort from knowing that her husband died loving her, and she could always carry that with her. I wasn't trying to imply that my situation was worse than hers, but I worried that it came off that way. We stopped seeing each other soon after, and I'm pretty sure that was the reason. All these months later, I still find myself thinking about her and wondering if it would be all right to reach out and see if she might be interested in giving things another try. I don't want to make her uncomfortable or upset, so I'm hoping you can help me make the best decision. I can definitely help you make the best decision, my man. I feel confident guessing that you are a man. (laughs) Which is, if you don't want to make her uncomfortable or upset, don't reach out to her. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to do you want to take it from another angle? You ha- you made a pitying sound at the beginning. You might feel pity for him, in which case yeah, I'd be happy I mean, to fight about it. Just because she was a widow, I mean, it's sad. You know, it's like oh, that, that sounds like a, just a sad mm-hmm. situation, just all around. You know, they but they did only briefly, you know, date. There's no real longevity there, and she was a widow, so there could be any number of reasons why she is not available. To, to this person. It doesn't necessarily yeah. have to be what they said. It could just be, you know, she's going through a lot. My, my, m- the only reason that I'm inclined to believe that that is why is I don't know why else the letter writer would bring up the fact that he had been coming out of a bad breakup, right? Like, it's not as if he had said, like, I feel like he must have been talking about those two things. And, and it's the at least construction. Um, That, again, even if he didn't just say, like, well, uh, you know, my breakup is worse because my person stopped loving me. But if there was a sort of, well, at least you know that he died in love with you, uh, you know, then, yes, it it does seem clear to me that he was uh, at least implicitly suggesting that she was lucky in having been widowed. I think that's I I think he's probably right in intuiting that that's why they broke up. Um, I could be wrong. Uh, it may be that she does not remember it that way, or it may be that it was not that clear uh, a parallel that you were attempting to draw. But yeah, I, I think in general, anytime you attempt to make somebody feel better about the death of a loved one, um, you should just go for, I'm so sorry. Yes. Rather than at least it wasn't something else. Because of course it wasn't something else. It was the thing that happened. Yes. And to try to say that you know the feelings. I mean, she she already knows them. She doesn't need anybody to uh, either validate or, you know, highlight any of those. We you, you really never know the circumstances under which somebody passes. They could have had a tumultuous relationship right before. So to say, you know, he died loving you. It's like uh, she's still in the back of her mind dealing with a lot. So it's just it's best just to not even touch any of that because relationships are so marred with various dynamics and situations and realities that you can't even begin to. And anytime you try to, you know, console somebody with your assumptions of what you think it was, they're just going to be like, oh, you know, you you don't get it. And it's true. You don't. And you're not, you know, you're not supposed to. You don't have to. The best thing to, yeah, to do is just stay away from those conversations. And yeah. Yeah, I think that's such a good point because it is so important sometimes to acknowledge, I don't know what to say. That's a good thing to say, I think. Mm. Like, if you say to someone, I really love you, it makes me really sad that you experience this loss. I don't know what to say in the face of it. I'm at a loss for words. Uh, Anything that I can think of sounds like it would fall short. That is a great thing to say to somebody to just acknowledge, like, I I don't know what to say. 
um, rather than trying to cover up that discomfort or anxiety by manufacturing something to say that is designed to reassure somebody else, but in fact makes them feel misunderstood or like somebody else is trying to tell them, don't feel so bad about it. Um, So I think in the future, if you don't know what to say when somebody is like, my husband just died, my wife just died, my mother just died, my child just died, um, it is really okay to say something like, I'm so sorry. Um, I don't know what to say. Um, I find myself at a loss for words. I just want you to know I I love you and I'm thinking of you and I'm so sorry. And if you ever want to talk about it, I'm here. Like, stick with that rather than, well, at least it wasn't this other thing or at least you have this particular comfort. Because, you know, I got to say, when you lose somebody you love, yeah, it can be comforting sometimes to think of how they loved you. And that can also be additionally painful of they loved me and I wanted them to stay alive and keep loving me on life, like in life. Um, so. Or it could be the case that they hadn't quite, you know, figured that love out and she's feeling some type of loss because she may have realized after that there's all types of different, you know, emotions surrounding love. And it's such a messy thing. And I think it's so good to ask and to, to, to rather say that Mm -hmm. you are just, yeah, you don't know, but that you, you know, are there for that person because then they can share that with yeah. you. They 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 know that it's open and you're not going to make assumptions. And also sometimes, you know, when stuff is sticky in re- relationships yeah. are just messy period just in general, right? But when there are those situations surrounding loss, um there can be a lot of regret for various things. You just I mean the 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 amount of stuff those two those two went through in a marriage we have no clue about because marriage is is the ultimate right the ultimate connection with somebody because you merge your lives but you know if she if she was still working through some of that and you know you come with your assumption then she may feel like well now I can't open this up open up to this person because if he thinks that this love was anything but perfect I'm gonna sound maybe ungrateful or our relationship's going to sound bad or, you know, it's just, there's so much when you, when you come up with your assumptions that then people shut down because they don't want to disappoint you or they don't want to, um, to be judged by you because obviously you already have one idea of it. Let me not tell you that I was cheating on him for six months before or something, you know, you never know. I mean, you just have no clue of the plethora of relationship dynamics in a marriage. So the best thing is to stay neutral. And then that person feels like, yeah, I can, I, I want to share with this person what it really was like and what I'm missing and what I'm grappling with and what I feel lost from. And it's just, there's, yeah. 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 And I'll just say, um, you know, just when you say you're pretty sure that that was the reason, I think you're probably right. Um, my, my guess is that you would not, um, mistakenly assume that that was why you stopped seeing each other and that you included all those details for a reason. Um, So I'll just say, if there's ever a time when you feel like you could offer her a genuine apology for that without attempting to say, and by the way, if you ever want to go out again, I promise not to say that again, that might be nice. She also might be like, fine. She might just be like, you know what? This guy's not for me. I I don't want you to like reappear like a ghost from the past if you guys actually weren't together that long. But, um, you know, it might not be a bad idea to consider at some point just like, a quick note of just like, hey, I'm really sorry. When we were seeing each other, I attempted to make you feel better about the loss of your husband by suggesting it wasn't that bad because he loved you. That was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I apologize. Um, if you can ever see your way to doing that, like keep it light. Don't like beg her forgiveness. Don't don't give a lot of context as to why you did what you did. Um, then that might be a kind thing to do. But it's also probably fine to just let her continue on with her life. I don't think she probably needs that from you. It was not an especially like long or intense relationship. Um, you just happen to really like her. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that that she needs this from you. But no, do not ask her out again. Um, if, if your goal is to not make her uncomfortable or upset, trust that she doesn't want to go out again. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, find somebody else today. And in the future, when you're at a loss for words, just acknowledge it. That's okay. It's okay to be at a loss for words. It's cute, really. I like it. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, attractive. It's, it's nice when someone acknowledges their vulnerability to you. Yes. You know? Yeah. Well, my friend, 
We did it. We answered a whole new batch of questions that I sprung <laughs> on you as a complete surprise, and you were a real champ about it. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm super stoked about this day because it was so much fun. And I really enjoy the questions for today. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm happy. They were definitely more intense, I think. They were. I was I was thrown for a loop. I was like, whew, I don't know how I'm going to get out yeah. of this. But, um, but we yeah. came hot out the gate. Yeah. But it's good. I feel like alive or something. I don't know. Hopefully we yeah. help the world. <laughs> I hope so too. And hopefully we convinced at least one person not to move to Los Angeles. Don't move to Los Angeles. And, yeah. Or the Bay anymore. Just... Yeah. Stay where you are. Everyone just, just crawl under Build the nearest community. piece of furniture and stay there until everything is safe. Yeah. All right. Ange, thank you so much for stopping by the show. I really appreciate it. And thank you for telling me a little bit about uh, my moon. And your rising. I, and my ge- rising, I, guessed I-, your ri- I guessed your sign based on your rising. Your rising is what you project to the world. So I just want to say that that made me feel like a real guru. An I mean, astrological y- guru. I will fully concede to you any and all expertise in the areas of anything about the stars. The only thing I know about the stars is that in seventh grade, we were supposed to do a star map and I lied and I looked at a picture of constellations online and I drew that and my teacher said, what a great drawing of the stars. You must have really paid attention. And I felt bad about it for the rest of my life. Yeah. See that, that I should, if I would have known that story, then I would have known you were a Sagittarius because that's a Sagittarius move. A Virgo would have worked on that project every day from the moment they received it until the night before to make it absolutely perfect because they're so precise and they are such hard workers. Sages are. Sages? Is that, is that our nickname? We get a nickname? Yeah. 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 It's too much to say Sagittarius, right? So you just say Sag. Man, oh man, what a time, what a time to be alive and learning things uh, about stars and whatnot. Um, we can talk about it as so, long as you want. We'll, we'll, we'll take it off the air for anyone who, whose interest and advice does not extend into an enthusiasm for astrology. Um, I want to respect all comers here. But thank you so much for coming on the show um, and for being such a delight. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Max Jacobs. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash plus to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute, tops. Looking for more from Slate? If Then is a podcast about technology, society, and power. Each week's Slate's April Glazer and Will Aremis take you on a lively tour of the tech news that actually matters, from fake news in your Facebook feed, to the algorithms that want your job, to the Uber drivers who want a job with benefits. New episodes are out every Wednesday. So check out If Then wherever you get your podcasts.